Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So I call this message Fear Not because a bunch of times in the Word of God, when people saw angels, they were terrified and the angel said, Fear not. And there's stuff happening in your life and my life that will make us fearful or anxious. And today we want to see how we deal with these fears or what we sometimes call anxieties, okay? And there's so much in God's Word to deal with fear and anxiety. I'm just looking at Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse, what, 23, says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So Jesus gets into a boat. He's going out on the Sea of Galilee. And I've never been to Israel, but I read about the Sea of Galilee that it's a, a beautiful lake surrounded by high mountains. And the high mountains prevent you from seeing the storm clouds coming over the mountains. That's why verse 24 of Matthew 8 says, Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping and his disciples went and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And so it was a furious storm, so furious that the waves swept over the boat and the disciples are terrified and they say, Lord, help us. We're going to die. And, and what, here, here's what I relate to. Christ is asleep in the back of the boat and he was exhausted not even a storm woke him up. And I relate to that. Black sky, wind, water, wind, water beating in your face, and he's sound asleep. And I say, that's my God. That's my God. I mean, my God didn't stay in heaven. I mean, my God came to earth, came down to our world, the world he created for us. The God I love and worship and serve left his heaven, came into my life as a man because he was so tired from hard work, so exhausted from fulfilling the mission God gave him that not even a storm could wake him up in the back of the boat. And I think to myself, don't you have days when you get so beat, you just don't want anybody to touch you or wake you up or talk to you, just leave me sleep for a while? I get beat like that every now and then. You guys get beat like that every now and then, man. I mean, he lived in the real world. And he knows what life is like. And that's our God. And so they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. I see him rubbing his eyes. You know, I just noticed little things in verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up. And so they say, Lord, we're going to drown. He's lying there in the stern of the boat, in the bow of the boat. He's rubbing his eyes. He's still laying there. And he looks up at him and says, oh, you of little faith. And this boat's rocking. Then he gets up. Then he stands up. And this to me is very dramatic. His hair blowing in the wind, looking at the gray black sky. And the word of God says he rebukes it. And the word rebuke means Jesus is very upset with the storm. What are you doing making my guys afraid like this? He's talking to the storm. Be gone. Stop. These guys belong to me. See? And the storm stops. Now, there is such a thing as a healthy fear. But these disciples had Jesus in the boat. See, that's the big deal. And you read this and you think, hey, Jesus, weren't you a little harsh? I mean, after all, man, these guys are out in the middle of a large lake and there's a terrible, furious storm on the lake. Wouldn't it be natural? You want to defend these guys. Wouldn't it be natural to be afraid? And the answer is in verse 27 of Matthew 8. The men were amazed and asked, now get this, little things here. What kind of a what? What kind of a man, see, is this? 
Even the winds and the waves obey him. I mean, this guy had done one miracle after another prior to Matthew 8. They've seen his glory. And if you read John's gospel, a lot of times he said, I and my father are one. They should have known it was more than just a man. See, now I understand why Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? I had a look at John MacArthur's commentary on the gospel of Matthew. But, but listen, don't you believe in me and my power? That's what he asked in effect. Haven't you seen enough of my power and experienced enough of my love? To know that you're perfectly safe with me. You've seen me perform miracle after miracle, even on behalf of those who never trusted me or never bothered to thank me. You've seen my power. You've seen my compassion. Now here it comes, and you should know that because of my power, I can help you. And because of my compassion, I will help you. Even if you should drown, don't you know that would mean instant heaven? What then do you have to be worried about? See, and I read stuff like that, and, and, and that's very convicting to me. He says, because of my power, I can help you. And because of my compassion, I will help you. And I say to myself, I'm right in the boat with those disciples. What kind of man is this man? He was not just man. He was a God man. They'd seen evidence of his power and his compassion. So he's God. And he has himself, in himself, all power. And he cares. Got to think like that. So let's look at some things we're afraid of. You know, I read this thing on stress and stress points. On a scale of 1 to 10, and what's a 10, and what's a 1, and so on and so forth. And what causes the greatest stress? And, and, and there are a bunch of them in that 10 category, but one of those was the fear of death. I think to myself, what does an unbeliever say in the face of death? What do they say? They all say the same thing, at least in my experience. They all say, well, they're in a better place if someone they love dies. It's the only hope and comfort they have. They're in a better place. And when you, when you say they're in a better place, what are you saying? You're saying, well, everybody goes to heaven. I don't care what kind of a cuss he was, how, 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 how distant he was from God. He's in, a, he's in that better place, and they have no idea what that better place is. They're not taking hold of any of God's promises. See, I hope, I hope you never, ever say about somebody you care about when they die, he or she is in a better place. Don't ever say that. That is so pagan. I mean, you say he or she's with the Lord in heaven in perfect joy. And when God calls me home, that's where I'm going to be too. None of this better place nonsense, see? Because we have God's promises. Promise like this, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, there's confidence for you. Man, that's how you face your fears, man. You look it in the eye and you say, death, where is your sting, man? His victory guarantees ours. Then I look at 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and Paul goes on to say, when you face the fear of death and that doesn't scare you anymore, you can go on with life. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You can go on with life, and I'm quoting now, unmoved, says the word of God, unmoved by the fear of death. Man, it's victory, and here's some life logic, okay? If you don't have to fear death, which is a 10 on the stress scale, because you believe the promises of God, what do you have to fear? It's believing the promises of God. It's believing that God is who he says he is. That, that, that's how you handle it, folks. I want to tell you about some fears or anxieties or talk about some fears or anxieties that people have. Let me tell you my number one fear or my number one anxiety that sends waves of anxiety through my stomach. It's when I think about my kids and my grandkids and the world they're going into. I look at this economic stimulus passage, package and I look about when these kids are 25 and 30 years old, it could very well be that the only agency that has any, that has any money is the government. 
And, and they could be totally, totally dependent on government, which is socialism to the extreme. It's almost communism. And God didn't make us to depend on government. He made us to depend on him. I didn't experience this myself. I heard about this. A lady has a brother who's gay, and he comes over and helps her fix the house and all that stuff. And she says, this guy's going to heaven. He's such a nice guy. And he's not responsible for being gay because it's all genetic. And, and, and you know, and th those are the lies that are out there. Those are the lies that are out there. And, and, and here, I, I think of my kids. I think of my grandkids, man. And they're going to have to stand up against lies like this. And they're going to have tough choices. And they're going to have to, and they're, they're going to, have to say that's not true. And they're going to have to make tough choices I never had to make. Now, I got to tell you, I'm just telling you, that is my number one anxiety. I'll call it a fear, and it's sinful. I know that. It's my number one fear. A lot of you think, how's the company going to do? How are they getting any new business? How long will I keep my job? That's a 10 on the stress scale. That's a 10. I mean, you talk to kids 17. Kids 17 years old say, if I ever lose him, if I ever lose her, as if this is the forever person in their life, and they're nervous about that. Talk to nurses, man. These, these kids commit suicide over this. Or, you know, the people fear cancer. And sometimes um, somebody you love is dying. And see, we are afraid of what hasn't happened yet, but what might happen yet. And so now you understand Jesus' words to his disciples in the boat on the lake. And now they're not so harsh. Matthew 8, 26. So you have little faith. Why are you afraid? Folks, it boils down to a trust or a faith factor. And that can be very convicting to me because, because to us, because you think I'm a Christian and I know the Lord loves me and I know he's promised never to leave or desert me and here I am worrying about this. So let's get practical here for a minute. That defines the issue. Let's look at how, how we deal with the issue. But how do we fear not? First, God made promises and, and you say, I believe him or I don't. This Christian thing that I've committed to is, is either true or I'm living a lie. That's what you got to say. And you believe the promises of God. And for see, here's the deal. For you to believe the promises of God, that's where you got to start. You got to know the promises of God. I mean, we need that. That's point one. You got to know the promises of God to believe. Him. And so you search the word of God. And here's a few promises. I, I just, I took three arbitrary promises. And I promise you if, you, if you own these promises, this will literally change your life and how you look at fear and anxiety and all that stuff. Start with you just three promises. Romans 8, and maybe you don't even have to look these up, or Romans 8, 31, reads like this. What then shall we say in response to this? Now, just take this seriously. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's your memory work. Now, you ever just drink in those words? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, David didn't have those words rolling around in his mind when he, when, when he faced Goliath, but I mean, he had something like that rolling around in his mind. If God be for us, who can be against us? Simple, isn't it? If God be for us, who can be against us? And you think, God and all that he is is on my side. So I think, there's all power. He loves me. He knows everything. Here's what I like to think of when I have a worry. He got to exist about something in the future. God exists in the past and in the present, and he exists in the future. From his eternal present, he exists in the past and the present, and he exists in this future. And here's this future thing I'm worrying about, and God is already living, existing in the future, working it out. I'm his child. And he's working it out to his glory, number one, but he's also working it out to my good. This thing I'm worried about, God is already living in that time frame. 
is working all this out to his glory and my good. You got to think like that. You got to think, okay, he's already in that future situation. If God is for us, what force on earth, what person, what devil can really be against you and prevail against you? Second promise of Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Second step, I will deliver you. Third step, and you will honor, says the NIV, or you will glorify me, says the King James. See, this whole deal about God delivering you is so you glorify him. Now, you've got to think like this. It's about his glory. And you know he's going to deliver you if you glorify him because God's in the God business for glory. God wants glory. He's the only one worthy of glory. Think like that, man. And if you call upon him in the day of trouble, he promises to deliver you. Why? Because you're going to glorify him, and you know that promise stands. Because God wants glory. You glorify him, man, you're going to get delivered, man. The third one, Hebrews 13.5. This is great. Hebrews 13.5 says, Never... And I have that circled, will I leave you? Never will I forsake you. Let's say your husband or wife or someone you really like, or someone you'd like to marry says, I'm leaving you. You never beg them to stay. You don't snivel and grovel. You rise above them and you say, I'm in this for the long haul. But if you choose to leave, I'll deal with it. Because the Lord has said, never will I leave you. And never will I desert you. And as you read this promise of God and his word, notice the context, because lots of folk fear about their job, okay, and the company, and does the company get business, and am I going to be working in a month, and so on. The context of never will I leave you or never will I desert you is, is when, when, when finances are low, when you, 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 you're wondering, do I have enough to live on? Food, drink, and all that stuff. When you can barely afford to live. When, you, when you're worried about your future security. It's in that context in Hebrews chapter 13 that God says, or God inspired the writer to write, never will I leave you, never will I desert you. So step one in dealing with fear is you have to know the promise. The second step is you internalize them. You make them your own. You tell yourself those promises are not just for everybody. They're for me. See, if God be for me, who can be against me? Call upon me, God said in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you and you'll glorify me. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I desert you. And you keep repeating those promises to yourself. You got to say them over and over and over and over again. You use them every time something makes you fearful and anxious. You throw the promises right back in fear's face and you say, I stand on these. God gave me these and God is faithful to keep these. That's what you say. I will not, I will not give in to these fears. You internalize them. I love to bring this back to our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? On four different occasions, he told his disciples, the Son of Man will be handed it over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and kill him. Now that's facing your fears. They will mock him and scourge him and kill him. But he, every time he, he predicted this, he finished like this. And on the third day, I will rise. Know why he could say that? Because he knew his father's promise. Our Lord studied those scriptures. And there is a promise in Isaiah 53, this is verse 11, that says, after the suffering of his soul, talking about the Messiah, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. 
Now that is a promise or a prediction, a sure promise of the resurrection of the Messiah. And so that's why Jesus could say, and on the third day I will rise again, because there was his proof. There was a promise in the word from his father, and his father never goes back on a promise. See, Jesus Christ had internalized the promises of scripture, and he could face anything that came on. So number one, you got to know him. Then number two, you got to believe him and internalize him. Number three, third thing we need to deal with as we deal with, or third thing we need to do as we deal with fear and anxiety is we need to recall. We need to recall what God has done. David said in 1 Samuel, he said, I fought lions and bears barehanded to defend my sheep. And God delivered me from them. So why should this Goliath be a problem? See, he was, he was building on the past. That's in scripture for us to take heart. You know one I relate to? I relate to those three guys in the furnace. They're um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jewish young men that God had raised up to be leaders in the nation of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has this gold statue, built this huge gold statue, either of a Babylonian god or maybe of himself. And he says, everybody in this land is required to fall down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Abednego would worship only the true God, and they wouldn't do it. And the king is furious. Oh, do I love these words. Shadrach, Me this is where I want my kids to be. I want my kids to be in, in, in Daniel 3.16, in my grandkids, in all you folks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. He just said, I'm going to throw you into a blazing furnace. Ever think about burning alive? I mean, think about this. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now look at the, the, the commitment. I mean, the release to God. Let God do it his way. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, they allow for that possibility. We want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Oh, dear Lord, may these people be there. Man, that is, that's courage, man. That's facing your fears. Why could they say that? Because their God sent plagues and delivered his people from Egypt. Then he parted the waters of the Red Sea. And they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And he sent them like boxcar loads, you might say, of manna and quail and water from a rock and all that stuff. I mean, and then their God defeated all the, I mean, they didn't have any weapons of war. And they go into this promised land of Canaan and their God just mowed down. I mean, all, all these pagan tribes who did have weapons of war. And God won every battle and gave them the promised land. And on and on the list goes, man. And their God, and when they were deported to Babylon, God provided every need and gave them positions of rank. And they recalled what God had done. And they can say stuff like this because they recalled what God had done in their life. And see, you and I don't do that. You and I don't say, God's done it before. God's going to do it again. You know what we do instead? We act as we just kind of erase the past and, and, and we get nervous and fearful, see? Now you know why Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. Man, I have acted in your life. I mean, there were major changes or shifts of direction in my life and my Father and my Lord have never, ever left me. That's Hebrews 13, 5. How many times I've called on the Lord in the day of trouble and he delivered me and I glorified him. But I forget those. 
Or how many obstacles have you overcome? I mean, challenges, difficult times. Uh, you've all been through them. And Romans 8.31 has been fleshed out. If God is for me, who can be against me? You've all been through those. And we have to reflect on these times because, God, you see, God gives us, he allows us, sometimes he gives them to us to go through that stuff for a reason. Because he knows more stuff is coming down the road, right? He knows more stuff is coming. And he allows you to go through these things to build trust. So when it happens again, he gets glory, man. You trust him. So I'm not going to let this thing rattle my cage. So recall what he's brought you through. Here's the fourth way. We're almost done. You know, I had a big spiel on this. I'm just going to read it. Just read this. Fourth thing to do when, 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 when fear and anxiety attack you. Go to... Matthew chapter 6, and read from verse 25 to 34, and just look at the logic in it. Matthew 6, 25, just read it. Therefore, I tell you. Just look at the logic here. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? That a great question? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You see the logic there? Aren't you more valuable to God than birds? The environmentalist would say no, no, no. But the Bible says yes, yes, yes. And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that, the, that, that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? See the logic? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagan, that is pagan. See that? That's pagan. If you're asking that, that's pagan. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So step four, read that over and over and over again and let the logic sink into you. Last way to deal with fear. This should be the first way. So let's call, because everything begins with prayer, so let's call this the first way. This is Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, or Philippians 4, 6. Reads like this, don't be anxious. <laughs> don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep or fix your hearts and minds with Christ Jesus. Fix your hearts on Christ Jesus. Folks, um, I need to tell you, this works. This really works. It is a discipline. Paul says, when anxiety strikes, that's the word of God. I didn't write this. It's the word of God. He's given you some advice. He said, when anxiety strikes, anxiety strikes, first move you make, first thing is you take it to him in prayer. In everything, and I'm working on that. I do that. I'm trying that. Anything that comes into my life that gets me upset, instant reaction. Bring it to God, and let me just give you a hint here. Do it out loud in words that you can hear yourself speak. And when that, that fear comes, you may have to go into another room, but, but talk to God in words you can hear yourself speak. Father, you spell it out. 
all the details. This is what makes me nervous. And you go through all the details. Father, this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen, and that scares me, okay? I don't want this to happen. If this happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, Father, give me wisdom. Give me grace. Guide me through this. Take away my fear and take away my anxiety. And look what's going to happen when you do that. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is going to fix your heart and mind on Jesus Christ. When prayer is your first reaction to any of this stuff. Folks, you can really deal with the changing circumstance of life. You really can. You can really deal with your fears and worries. We've seen the disciples terrified in a storm, and Jesus got on their case because God was in the boat. It was lack of trust. And all fear and nervous anxiety comes down to that simple thing. It's lack of trust. We've seen some of the things we worry about and the ways we deal with it. Five ways. One, know the promises of God. We looked at three of them. They're on your outline. Life-changing promise. The second, you own them, you internalize them, you believe them. Third, recall how God's delivered you in the past, build on the past. Fourth, go immediately to Matthew 6, 25 to 34 and read it over and over again. And finally, finally, make prayer your first reactions, Philippians 4, 6. Now, you have no reason to worry. You really have no reason to worry. And if you do, this is God's word. I mean, this did not come from me. This, this is, this is, these steps are all from God, okay? And, and, and I submit that if you keep doing these five things, I, I submit to you that you will worry and be afraid less and less and less. And when you do worry, you got to know this. Understand that Christ, those are sins. And Christ died for those worries. He, he, he died for those fears. I mean, you confess them and you go on with life because they're paid for and forgiven. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.